Welcome everyone to Torah Talks, Chazak's Tuesday programs with special guests. Tonight we have as a very dear friend of ours, Rabbi David Dalman, Chazak Fellowship with the Administrator. Rabbi Dalman, welcome to the program. How are you doing? Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having uh, me. Pleasure all ours. Rabbi Dalman is a mover and a shaker, very successful in which means bringing those that are far and near. And uh, tonight we're going to be speaking about an interesting topic, the curse of the cultural Jews. But before we get to the topic, Rabbi Dalman, if you could uh, please give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself and the great sure. work you're involved with. So, okay, Baruch Hashem, uh, uh, my wife and I, we've been Zoha to be a part of Kirov now, Jewish Outreach, for almost 20 years, uh, working uh, first in Eretz Yisrael with at-risk teens, uh, then in Austin, Texas, uh, then in Stony Brook as the rabbi and Rebbe at Stony Brook University in Long Island, uh, and now here for this wonderful organization, Chazak. So I'm so blessed to be here and... Uh, when I'm not so busy working in this uh, field, I'm also a therapist, so I work with uh, teenagers struggling with drug and alcohol abuse, and I try to be a good husband and father of seven at the same time. Amazing. So, wow. I'm, I'm busy these days. Rabbi, can you tell us a little bit more about the fellowship program that you're in? Yeah, so uh, kind of the uh, diamond that uh, I'm so proud of, myself and Rabbi Walken, uh, we run uh, really uh, a first-of-its-kind type of fellowship. Now, fellowships have been running for quite a while. But I think what's unique about this fellowship is really these opportunities as far as fellowships and trips to Israel have really only been uh, available for college students. Really, this is the first time ever that high schoolers will have that opportunity as well. So we're really proud to showcase what we have, the quality of our students, and, um, and, uh, and really, really uh, get these kids that even before they get to college, they're already making good decisions as far as uh, Torah and Yiddish Ketter concerns. So we're very excited about that. Amazing. Shout out to our dear friends at Olami for helping yes. us with all these. We're very uh, grateful. Very grateful. Okay, so like we mentioned, the topic is the curse of the culture of Jews. So Rabbi, how do we embrace our own passion, our own fire, for sure. living a Torah life. So first of all, Shalom, I don't mean to correct, but it's definitely not the curse of the cultural Jews because we never want to curse Jews. No, it's the so. curse of the cultural Jew. Jew. And it. the curse of the cultural Jew is referring not to a people versus an idea. And the idea is, is those who do purely because they were told to do versus a person's relationship of wanting to do. So it's important that we understand the difference. Yes, a major part of what we are as a Jewish person is our avoda to Hashem, which means ultimately the reason why we do things it's because God told us to, and that is something that we that we have to trust. Like a, the same way we trust a parent who tells us we have a curfew, whatever it is, we trust them. So too we have to trust our 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 our, our God, our Baruch Hu, when He tells us we have to do something. But there's an added piece. There's an added piece in our Vodas Hashem, which is that a person has to love Hashem, and a person has to grow a relationship with Hashem. So. It's not enough just merely to do an avoda to say to do, but a person should also try to find tamayim. It's just a love and a reason and a relationship to why they do the things that they do. And, and hopefully through uh, a little bit of the talk that we have today, we'll discuss kind of how that comes about, at least in my life, of how, how one balances not only their service to God as is tradition, but also how a person finds their love for Hashem, which is equally important. Okay, that sounds exciting. So, Rabbi, <coughs> as we know, uh, Pesach is uh, just a few weeks away, and on the Seder night, uh, we're passing on the Messorah, the traditions, onto the next generations. Uh, sure. Can you please describe the importance of following the tradition of our forefathers, our avos? I, I, th- I think the Seder is actually the perfect example. Uh, because so much of the, of the Pesach Seder is about traditions that we're passing over from generation to generation. But what I think is so unique about the Seder is just look how we observe it. There's so much interaction. Uh, the kids are, right, questions and answers. The kids are encouraged to dress up. There's the Manashtana. Why are we doing all that? It says exactly, Manash, in the, in the Seder, that we're supposed to feel as if we were in Yitzhak's time. We were there. So how do we create that emotional relationship? 
we, 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 we eat certain things, we taste the salt water, we, 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 we're, we're engaging on a very personal level. So it's mamish, that's the greatest, that's the greatest proof to what I'm saying, I believe, that, uh, that it's not just enough to say the story, rather we have to feel it in our, in our bones. Mm-hmm. That's what we have to do to the deepest degree. And the rabbi, I was told, uh, at one of your fellowships, one of our staff members were there, mm-hmm. and they say, you gotta hear a story. He had an unbelievable story. Yes, yeah, and uh, the question is, what is this amazing story, Rabbi Dalman? So, uh, I'm very excited to share it, um, and uh, something that Baruch Hashem has uh, shaped uh, shaped my life, and thankfully my, my, my family's lives, and, and something that we get to to to, uh, to give over to uh, our hundreds of Shabbos guests, and uh, and all the work that that we do. It's a major extension of what I am. So. Um, I'm going to try to keep the story as, uh, as, as short as possible. Um, so it kind of starts out, um, I grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland, and uh, my parents were traditional Jews, and I was born in 1983, uh, which means I'm a young rabbi. Uh, I was born in 83, so the challenge that I began to face as a young man, you know, I would normally hear things like, uh, David, you have to go to shul. Well, why? Well, I don't know, because the rabbi goes to shul and you need to go to shul. Uh, David, you need to keep kosher. Well, why? Because um, the rabbi keeps kosher. That's why you need to keep kosher. And uh, <clears throat> something that I think that, uh, you know, unfortunately, the, the, some of the yeshivas didn't uh, answer a lot of those questions either. I think maybe they were expected that a young man should know these things. That's why in my practice, I try to never assume that anybody knows anything and try to explain everything that I say because you can't assume what people know or what people don't know. So um, I think um, I grew up in a very challenging scenario where, where, uh, where we had all this excitement about being Jewish, but really none of the answers. We just did it because we did it. So that kind of worked for me when I was 10 or 12 or 13. But by the time I started hitting my teens years, my 14s, my 15s, my 16s, I began to start questioning. And um, the question turned into a lot of frustration. And um, I, um, I, I began to hate the one thing that I was. And, and, and the thing that, uh, that, that, that uh, I hated more than anything was being a hypocrite, mm-hmm. right? For a person to believe and say the things that they're doing, but really have no reason to understand why they do it. So slowly but, for, slowly but surely, unfortunately, through my years of 14, 15, 16, I, I slowly left uh, the fold. Wow. Uh, and um, I... Um, I should say this, right? So I didn't want to disappoint my parents. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is I would wear a kippah and go to yeshiva and this and that. But as soon as the day was over, kippah came off and uh, everything came off and I lived as far as I possibly could away. In fact, uh, it's, uh, it's very interesting. Sometimes the students, when I tell them the story, they ask me, they said, Rabbi, did you always believe in God? And I said to them, I always believed in God. I hated God. But you have to, you have to believe that God exists in order to hate him. Right, so that's the idea when we say Judaism relationship. Relationships have ups and downs, right? But you have to admit that there is a relationship or that there is an existence. So I always believed in Hashem. Uh, I, I had differences of opinion with him for a, for a time, uh, but Baruch Hashem, we've we've uh, we've we've reconciled. I should say. <laughs> um, so uh, so I would say in my teens, I, I left Yiddishkeit, um, and I, I actually went as far as I possibly could. Um, I, uh, I was a mechanic by trade, so I would go to yeshiva in the morning, and in the afternoons I would work at Merchant Tire and Auto Centers, uh, fixing carburetors, uh, and that's why I'm still very handy with cars today. Uh, I love, uh, it's kind of my thing, my passion. And uh, it was around 10th grade where Hashem uh, really um, threw a curveball uh, at me. Uh, I met a young lady who we st- I started dating uh, in about 10th grade, end of 10th grade, beginning of 11th grade. And... Uh, 
It's young. Yes, we were young. We were very young. And, uh, but I don't want to give away the end of the story. You'll see how it uh, pans out. So 10th grade, 11th grade. And uh, this girl um, did not have the same hatred and anxiety and frustrations against Judaism as I did. And uh, she would pick me up after a full day's work uh, at, the, at the auto body center. And uh, I was just about to get in the car and she would say, David, where's your keeper? Ooh. And I would say, Kippa, I don't wear a Kippa. You know I don't wear a Kippa. She would say, well, you're not getting in my car unless you put on a Kippa. And she would open up the glove box, and she'd give me a Kippa. Wow. I said, okay, fine. For you, I'll wear a Kippa. Yeah. Right? We have this idea in Judaism called Shalolishma Balishma, which okay. means you start for the wrong reason in the hopes that, God willing, you'll start and continue for the right reason. So clearly it was not for the right reasons at the time, but hopefully, and as we see in the, later in the story, it becomes the right reason. And then she would say to me, David, are you wearing tzitzis? And I would say, come on, you know I don't wear tzitzis. I was wearing my polyester jumpsuit to keep the oil off me, as you know, you know, grease monkeys and the guys that work under the cars do. I said, you know I don't wear this. This is a crazy tzitzis. And, um, and she would say to me, well, you're not getting in my car unless you put on a pair of tzitzis. And she would open up the glove box, and there was a pair of tzitzis. And I wow. said, okay, fine, for you, I'll put it on. Um, so uh, I, uh, we became very, very close, uh, this, this girl and myself. Um, and we started dating between through 11th and through 12th grade. And then um, in 12th grade, she, uh, she, she kind of dropped the bomb on me, and she said, uh, David, I'm going off to Israel to learn oh. in seminary, and uh, you have a choice. You can either follow me to go to Israel to, to study, or we break up. Wow. And she made that very, very dis- distinction very clear. She said, you come to study with me in Israel, or this is the end of the relationship. So I said to her, I said, I love you, and where you go, I will go. Wow. So she went to a seminary called the Fikei Torah, and I went to a yeshiva called Ner Jake, or Ner Yaakov. Yeah. Right, so that's uh, Rabbi Walker and I know from <laughs> Yes, the next is Ner Jake. All the coolest rabbis do. <laughs> uh, so I went to Ner Jake for, uh, for my first year, and um, then she dropped another uh, huge uh, bomb on me, and I was, this is like unbelievable. Uh, she said to me, once I got to, to Israel and got comfortable in yeshiva, she said to me, she said, um, I don't want you to talk to me for a full year. Whoa. And I was like, what? I just <laughs> dropped my job. I was making good money to come all the way to Israel to be with you. And she says to me, she says, I, I hated her at the time for it. She said, she says, I know the way guys are, and they either have space in their brains for girls or Torah. And I want you to have this year as a year of growth for you. And if this me and, and we're going to take a break for one year. And at the end of the year, if Hashem still wants this to happen, we'll reconnect. So I was so upset at her, but listen, that's what she wanted. So I, I, I spent my first year in Eriakov, like any good near Jake boy does. Um, I partied uh, most of uh, my first year. And then there was a night that changed my life. Um, Thursday night, I was partying with three friends of mine. We were out at a bar on Ben Yehuda Street, and we're having fun. And there's some young ladies that uh, the two guys and myself that they're talking to. And I see this girl. In the back of my mind, the girl that I had been dating and continued to date. Uh, and I said, what am I doing here? I, I don't belong here. I shouldn't be here. And I said to the three guys that I was with, I said, you know, this is stupid. You know, I, I'm, I'm already dating someone seriously. Difference between guys then and guys now. I said, what do I, what, what, it's not even appropriate for me to be here. So they go, Delman, oh, just chill. Have a good time. We're, you know, we're, you know, we're having a good time. Leave us alone. I said, no, guys, I'm really uncomfortable. I really want to leave the bar. So finally, after a few minutes of begging and prodding and pleading, they said, okay, let's leave. So we left the bar, and 30 seconds later, a terrorist walked in the bar and blew it up. Wow. It was about 30 seconds after we had walked out of the bar, a Palestinian terrorist came inside and detonated himself and murdered 30 people. Oh, wow. Uh, in the bar. Um, 
to try to give you an exam, a feeling of what that feels like. Uh, Betty Huda Street on a normal Thursday night is loud, full of music and talking and laughter, and then a bomb goes off, and then it's silence. You hear nothing. And then after about 10 or 15 seconds of pure silence, your screams, groaning, crying, and sirens, and whatever it is. Wow. At that time, I was uh, first aid and CPR certified, so I ran back into the bar to see if I could help people. Um, I will never forget that evening of what it looked like um, and the terror. Again, this wasn't a, uh, this wasn't a, um, a military action. This was a, a, a terrorist activity that was taken up against regular uh, guys and girls who were just looking to have a good time on a Thursday night. And um, immediately, I would say after about, maybe it felt like seconds, but it could have been minutes, I don't remember, uh, the uh, Hatzalah came and the Israeli army showed up, police, and once they asked me, so are you okay? Do you have any rooms? I said, no, I'm fine. And they threw me out. They said, you don't need to be here. You know, they, want to, they want to clear the scene. Right. So I, I, I will never, ever forget this night of my life. It just shows you the, the ava and love that I have for my Rebbe, Rebbe Lif from Yaakov. Um, that night, he, he slept on a bench in the yeshiva because he was so worried about his tummy. Um, he was our mother, our father, our everything. When really we didn't have that stuff at home, he took care of us when no one else wanted to. So I would say out of 50 kids in Ariakov that night, all 50 of them were in town, uh, practically. Uh, and we all came back, thankfully, uh, without a scratch. Um, something flipped in my mind. I think in social work school, we call it survivor's guilt. Now, there are 30 people that are gone, and I am here. The question is why. Why am I here? So I decided to do something I never did before, or at least cognitively did before. I decided that I was going to wake up for chakras the next day, which is huge for me. Because remember, I grew up going to shul. I always, I grew up going to Shul, I grew up keeping Shabbos, I stopped, because I didn't want to be the cultural Jew that I always hated. But I decided the next morning, I was going to wake up for Shachras. Uh, and uh, I remember there was a rabbi who was giving a shir, <coughs> who ended up being my Rebbe, my Rebbe that I, I've been macabre, was being my Rebbe over the, ne- the last uh, 20 or so years. Um, he, I went to, to I davened, and uh, he gave a shir right after davening. And he gave a shear about tefillah, about prayer. And I was very upset. Because even though this thing with the bomb just happened to me, I had a very big bone to pick about prayer. Because I grew up going to shul. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And God never answered any of my prayers. So, so now this rabbi is counting a lecture about prayer. And he says to me, he goes, David, if you pray for something specific, and God deems for you to have it, if he feels it's a good thing. Now, we understand, and this is the way I teach the Chazak kids as well. I say the difference is we have to understand that Chazak, uh, Chazak, excuse me, that Chazak too, but that God is uh, that God is not a genie. A God is like an Av, an Aim. God is like an Aim. Our parents don't grant us wishes. Our parents sometimes give us what we want, but our parents sometimes also say no because they know what's good for us and what's not. Hashem is not a genie, right? Hashem is a, a God like Av Aim, which means sometimes Hashem can say yes, and sometimes Hashem has the right to say no. Right? So, so, so my rabbi was explaining this to me, and he said, he said, if you pray for something specific, you will get it. I said, really? Really? If I pray for something specific, you will get it? He said, yes. I said, can I, can I, uh, can I dare you? And he says, you dare me. Wow. And I said, okay. <laughs> so this is what I decided to do. This was the dare I made. This was the, this was the, this was the deal I made with my God. This was the deal I made with my Creator. Um, this was about 40 days before Pesach, and uh, I had heard uh, it was brought down that uh, somewhere uh, that uh, if a person davens at the Kotel for 40 days for something specific, you'll get it. Yeah. So I decided I was going to do this. Again, go, 
tefillah was in itself very difficult for me because I grew up doing it and I felt that it was empty. So I said, for the first time, I'm going to go to the Kotel every single morning for 40 days. But what was I going to pray for? So I'm going to tell you what I was going to pray for. So uh, for those of you who know me, I'm a huge musician. I play guitar, bass, drums, pretty much anything to get my hands on. I also sing. Uh, and, uh, Great cousin also. Thank you. Um, so uh, always available. Weddings and moments. And I, and, um, I, uh, I started, my, my rabbi in Yeshiva introduced me to a, a Jewish singer by the name of Shlomo Kralbach. Oh, wow. And I had never heard of him before, but I started to listen to his music and uh, his stories. And uh, it was intoxicating, his views. Uh, every Jew is important, no matter your background. Hashem loves us. It was, it was, uh, his views really, really connected to me, and I really, really connected to it. So there was a book that had just come out that year. It was called the Karbach Haggadah, and it was basically the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, the Exodus of Egypt, with vignettes of Rabbi Karbach's likes and his stories that connect to the Seder. So I said, I didn't have any more money. I had nothing to my name. It was 40 days before going back to, to America. And I said, somehow, some way, I'm going to pray that God perform a miracle, that this Haggadah makes it into my hands. So for 40 days... I went to the hotel every single day, and I prayed that somehow God would find this Haggadah into my hands. Um, and, and I'll be, uh, just to give a secret out to everybody, the truth was, it really wasn't about the Haggadah. I wanted to believe in God. I wanted to believe that there was something out there that was greater than myself. So the, 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 the Haggadah was just a token. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see if there's an Amishter out there, if there's a God out there, and if he cares what little David Delman has to say. So for 40 days I prayed. And I went to Shabbos every single morning. Uh, and I left Israel 40 days later. Uh, God hath performed no miracles on my behalf. I was so furious and angry with myself. Wait, you didn't get that. I did not get it. No, oh, I, didn't, wow. I did not get like, it. it was no, a small regret. I did not get it. No, I did not get it. I was angry. And this goes to show you, by the way, a lot of people think that it takes a miracle to make someone religious. I had a bomb. I lived through a bomb. And I still hated Hashem. And I still wanted nothing to do with it. And I was so upset so after everything, I must have been just luck, uh, got, got lucky, whatever it is. Clearly, 40 days has passed. Hashem did not answer my prayers. I left Eretz Yisrael vowing that I would never come back, even though my girlfriend was still there. I said, clearly, this isn't for me. I'm going to go back to fixing cars, and that'll be the end of it. So I'm sitting now at my Passover Seder with my parents and my grandmother, she should have in peace, and my brothers and sisters, and... Um, I feel like the rush of the four sons. I'm sitting there like the first, oh my God, I'm like upside down. I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't even believe in this stuff anymore. Why am I here? I'm just showing respect to my parents, but I hate this every second of it. And my father lifts up the cup to say Kiddush. And just before the first words of the bracha come out, I get a tap on the shoulder from my brother, Brian, my brother Baruch. And he says to me, he goes, Dave, um, I was in Eichler's the other day. I wanted to pick you up something. And I turn around, and it was the Kabbalah. No way. One <laughs> second. Before Kiddush, on Passover night, my brother gifted me the thing I had been praying for for 40 days. So, you know, sorry. Wow. So, so that was the night I like to say that I became a Maya. I, wow. I, I practiced I it. I knew it. Culture, this and that. But that was the night that I knew that there was an Hashem who cared about me on a personal level. So I said, I'm leaving America. I'm going back to Eretz Yisrael as soon as I possibly can. I married my girlfriend, and uh, oh, that's your wife. That is my <laughs> wife. I wouldn't have told you that if I didn't marry her. Right? I, I married my girlfriend. Oh, and, wow. uh, we were very young, but we, we got married, uh, and uh, we married in the states, and then moved to Ramat Beit Shemesh, and we've devoted our lives to Kirov uh, since then. That was 1999, 2000, 
Um, and uh, I guess to just wrap up the end, um, I, uh, we moved to Ramat Beit Shemesh, and we started a program for drug and alcohol addicted teens in Ramat Beit Shemesh, uh, which is where I met uh, Rabbi Rabbi Klasko, who got me involved in Olami, and that's why I was one of the original Olami members. That was as of uh, 15 years ago, one of wow. the original 10. Uh, and it's just been an amazing ride ever since then, uh, first in Austin, Texas, then in Stony Brook, and now here in Queens. And, uh, and that's the story. Yeah, that's that's the story of somebody unbelievable. Who, somebody who found a Kaddish Baruch Hu, even though he had it his whole life. And sometimes I, I look at our kids at Chazak, and I say, I'm jealous of you. I look at the kids, and I say, I'm jealous of them. They say, why? And I said, because for many of them, they're seeing it for the first time. I had the gift in my hand. But I had to lose the gift wow. only to refine it and reappreciate it. I said, you guys, you're learning it for the first time. It's like a fresh sheet of paper. And, uh, and to see the glow and the glimmer of their eyes when you're teaching them Torah for the first time, it's, uh, it's amazing. I haven't yet walked any of my kids down to the chuppah, but I have to assume they feel something like that. For sure, definitely. That's, Rabbi Dali, that that's is it. a powerful, unbelievable story. But that's not it. We have a custom at our Torah Talks program. Okay. I know that that was an amazing message. I was like, my, my hair is still standing up. Like, wow, what a story. Unbelievable story. Very inspiring, very uplifting. Um, wow. <laughs> That's all I have to say, wow. But if you could grab I leave us with one additional, additional final message, message right. for our deep audience. Uh, it's our custom, you know. I love the Jews, we can end over here. We can end over here. It's more than enough. But uh, if so, the rabbi can leave us with sure. another additional so, powerful... So this is this is the message I always like to impart. Um, you know, sometimes I think we look at Chazak and other Kirib organizations, and we say, they're the rabbis, and they're the ones that do the Kirib. They're the professionals. Right. Leave it to them. I think that's a huge mistake. <laughs> and I'll tell you why I think it's a huge mistake. The Torah says, call Yisrael Aradim Zilazet. Every single Jew has a given Kirib. Every single Jew has an obligation for Jewish outreach. Now, you don't have to be crazy like me and go on college campuses and go hit the high schools. Maybe that's, <laughs> maybe you're not crazy enough to do that, and that's understandable. But every single person in their lives have opportunities in which they can make a difference. So if you go to the Chase Bank, and there's a lady or a man behind, and then you see a guy, maybe the lady's wearing a chamsa, and if you're a lady, you go, you say, invite them for Shabbos. Uh, the opportunities, uh, if Hashem gift wraps you, Eid, uh, gift wraps you, I'm bringing this to you. How many times have I, I gone to City Field and I see a guy with a Jewish name on his, on his jersey? And I feel an obligation for me to go up to that person, make small talk, invite them for Shabbos, do something like that. So it has to become part of our, of our, of our instinct that when we see another Jewish person, we, we have to reach out. to reach out. We have to reach out. We have to do it. And the only way that it works, and that's why I think this is a beautiful summation of the story, is because it means something. People, people realize when you're trying to sell something. You're trying to sell a vacuum cleaner. If a person's not passionate about selling the vacuum cleaner, it's not going to be a good sale. If a person really cares about what they're doing, right? If a person really feels it in their bones, right? Then, then the message goes through. I will say, Baruch Hashem, again, in the days of old, before COVID, uh, my wife and I were having 80 to 100 guests every single Shabbos. So uh, in those times, I would say, I must have given thousands of lectures uh, over the years. I don't think any of my lectures ever, ever made anybody religious, ever not once. But I think my Shabbos table has made hundreds of people religious. Our Shabbos table, my wife and I, would say our Shabbos table is hundreds of people because people see it and they say, they say, oh, the, the, the talk is good, but, but oh, look at, look how the wife treats the husband, the husband treats the wife, how the children react to the parents. I want that for myself. So we have to feel an obligation, an achrayas, and a responsibility. It's not just on the rabbis. It's not the rabbi's job. It's nice. It's your job too. In the taste bank, at the grocery store, at the Met game, wherever we're at, to be able to find find our brethren, to find our brothers and sisters, and do whatever we can 
That is our Ahrayas. Whatever we possibly can, whether it's Shabbos, whether it's a, a lecture, whether it's a class, you just do your best, and the Mishnah will surely come. Rabbi David Dom and Shlita, what an amazing message. What a powerful Torah talk we had today. We really appreciate the inspiration. Chazak sure, Ubaruch. And we want to remind our amazing audience every single Tuesday night we have a special guest at Torah Talks. And we want to remind everyone that uh, we're selling something and we believe in it. Chazak. We need your support in order to continue strong, in order to be Chazak, in order to change the world and make the world a better place. So we have an opportunity for people to win $100,000 at the same time support a great organization. Uh, the website is 100ksweepstakes.com slash chazak, C-H-A-Z-A-Q. In the general, give chazak.com, chazak.org, all these different websites. You could support the great work of chazak. Shout out to dailygiving.org and shout out to torahanytime.com and to uh, all of our friends uh, at uh, the organization for putting this all together. Thank you. Have you done once again? Thank you. Yeah, sure. And have an amazing night.